This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Will Johnson. The show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. I was really surprised that she was willing to come forward and share her story because, you know, and I even told her this. I said, listen, it's going to be really hard for the public to believe that you had absolutely no clue that he was capable of doing something like this. Um, My God, you were married to the man for 23, pretty much 24 years, um, and, and you had no idea? It's impossible for me to wrap my mind around how this could be the same person. It's almost like they're two different beings inhabiting that body. The man I once knew, or I don't know, what was did the, the two sides exist all the time? I just don't know. In November of 2018, the day before Thanksgiving, Diane Bruce left her home in St. Louis County, Missouri for work. It was early and still dark outside. Her husband was awake but still in bed watching the news. She said goodbye to her dogs and walked out the door. As I pulled the door closed and as I turned to go down the stairs, two sets of headlights came on at the dead end of the street, which was just like four houses up the street. And it didn't really surprise me that there were cars up there because Honestly, that house, even though we'd only been here a few months, I had really thought that they must be dealing drugs out of that house because of the traffic, the the amount of traffic that went up there night and day. And oftentimes there'd be cars parked at the dead end. So I didn't think that much about that, but it seemed very odd that both of them were leaving at exactly the same moment at that hour of the morning. And... um, the neighbors had been complaining that those cars going up there had been driving so fast. And I I don't know why, but I just thought, I'm just going to linger here at the foot of the steps. Um, thought it was kind of inconspicuous next to the tree there. And just see if I can get a look at these cars as they drive by. Diane says the cars continued down the hill toward the home she lived in with her husband of more than two decades. But the cars didn't pass by or keep going. Instead, she says two black cars came speeding down the hill and swerved into her front yard. And the doors flung open and all these men in black came rushing towards me. I thought I was being kidnapped. And if you've ever had one of those dreams where you try to scream and wonder if you can, I found out I could. I screamed a lot. And um, of course, this is all happening so quickly. They were just a few, the cars were just a few feet from where I was standing. And when they got to me, they were, they were going, shh, police. And somebody said, didn't you hear us call police? Well, I hadn't because I was screaming so loud. Um, and so I, then I think one or two of them gently moved me towards the end of the house while the rest of them were kicking in the front door. And at that, once I knew it was police, of course, my, um, my terror uh, went away, but I still had no idea what was going on. I thought there must be a fugitive in the area. Maybe somebody had entered the back of the house as I was going out the front. Um, but by this time, they had me at the driveway next to my car, and they said, your husband has been identified in a very serious crime. And um, I leaned against my 
car for support and said, you, you must have the wrong person. <clears throat> and they said, the evidence is overwhelming. I, honestly, what went through my mind is he's got strong opinions and he's not shy about sharing them on social media. And it seems like the world is so polarized that if you have an opinion that's different, you are automatically my enemy. And I thought somebody has gotten so angry about some opinion that he's had that they've um, accused him of something. <clears throat> so still thinking, you know, can't be, can't be him. Um, so they, the police invited me to sit in a car where it was warmer. It was cold and dark out there. And um, they... I never, I didn't see them take him out. Apparently they did within the first 10 minutes. But, <clears throat> um, and I sat there in that car and watched them tow both of our cars away. And uh, eventually they told me that, um, <clears throat> well, they asked me to, to sign for them to search the house, which I was happy to do because I figured they're going to find out they have the wrong person. I had even uh, texted my immediate supervisor and let her know I was going to be late because I figured as soon as they um, figure out they have the wrong person, I could be on my way to work. Diane wouldn't make it into work that day. And as it turns out, police didn't have the wrong person. Christine Byers has been covering crime for much of her career. And as the crime reporter for KSDK in St. Louis, she recently sat down with Diane Bruce to talk about that day that police officers arrived at her home and swarmed inside, the day her world fell apart. But before that morning, before everything changed, Diane's life and marriage could be considered pretty normal, married to the same man for more than 20 years, a relationship grounded in their faith. That's sitting on the steps of, our, of my condo. And this one, we were getting ready, um, that's in the church office, and we were getting things packed up to take to the Philippines. This is just before we were going on a little missions trip to encourage missionaries in the Philippines. How did you meet? Um, we were both attending the same church out in California, and it was a home Bible study group that we both attended. And um, we were just like brother and sister in the Lord. And and then at some point, he came and let me know that he was interested and asked if I would consider going out with him. What did you think of him? I, I just thought he was a sweet, tender-hearted guy. That's what drew me to him. He was, like I said, he was um, sensitive, tender-hearted. He loved to do things for people. And I... It wasn't all uh, rainbows and unicorns. Um, we had, we definitely had our struggles, and he he made me laugh a lot. He had a great sense of humor, but he also could just frustrate the life out of me. We were both very involved in our church together. Um, he led Bible studies. I led Bible studies. He he actually ended up being on staff at the church. In the early days of their marriage, they lived in California. It was Diane's first marriage and his second. Diane says Thomas Bruce was ordained in their church, and then in 2002, they decided to pick up and move to the St. Louis area. He had been on staff at the um, at our church there in California, 
and had actually been ordained, and he wanted to come here and start a church. Why this area? Uh, he was born in the St. Louis area. I think that's what, I'm, I'm not really, I think that's really what gave him the thought. Um, after we moved here, he had several jobs from, um, he was a, a school custodian to start with. He worked for Schwann's. He worked for Sears. Thomas Bruce seemed to bounce around a bit from job to job. And along the way, he took a job as an insurance salesman. But Diane noticed he was struggling as the years went by. My understanding was that it was the depression and anxiety that he would go through phases with that where he would just get bad and, and um, s seemingly not be able to function. And so that was one reason that I was working so hard was because he, 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 was, he could work from home. He had a, a, a work phone and a work computer at home, but... Um, so he is free to, his days were free. But nothing about their lives would prepare Diane for the shock of that November morning in 2018, when her husband was led away in handcuffs and she was taken back to the police station for questioning. Put inside a room, as she describes it, like the ones you see on TV. She still had no idea why. I'd never even been in a police station for any reason before, but I got to see one of those rooms and I was there for eight hours that day. I was sitting in there by myself for quite some time, and then I think after about an hour or so, the detectives came in and started asking me questions, and then they would leave, and then they'd come back for a while. And at some point, I, I don't know if it was the first time they came in, but at some point they told me that it was, they asked me if I had heard about the Catholic supply incident, and I said I had, and, and they told me that that was what, they thought he was connected to. The Catholic supply incident, as Diane calls it, had been all over the news for days. It had taken place three days earlier. People living in the area were still hearing horrific details. And of course, there was fear with the suspect still on the loose. But as Diane would come to learn that day, her husband, Thomas Bruce, was now the main suspect in the case. There were three women who were attacked inside a Catholic supply store. It's basically a place where you can go and get all things Catholic, um, you know, whether it's kids' uniforms or um, things that priests need, uh, prayer books, all kinds of things. And um, one woman was shot to death and the other two were sexually assaulted and seemingly by a complete stranger um, that had come in, done this to them, and, and seemed to have disappeared. But investigators found a clue soon after the deadly attack, a clue that led them to the home of Thomas and Diane Bruce just days later. Where this Catholic supply was was sort of in a, in a strip mall type of area, and within that strip mall area, there was a sports bar not far from there. And the um, suspect in the case, Thomas Bruce, had apparently been in that sports bar uh, and tried to give a waitress there his business card. And the waitress told police that were obviously going door to door asking anybody if they saw anything, that this guy that had come in really creeped her out and gave her the business card, but she said she had thrown it away right away. So they went dumpster diving and lo and behold, got really lucky and found the business card. And that was how they uh, 
latched on to him pretty, pretty early, very early, in fact. Diane Bruce had heard the news. She'd even talked about it with her husband. But that's it. It was a terrible crime that had happened, but how could her husband have any connection to something so horrific? At that point, of course, all I knew was that somebody had been shot, and I just thought, how could that possibly be him? And then it was later, as the questioning went on, that I could, by the direction of the questions they were asking, I said, was there something sexual, you know, related to that incident? Because I, I was unaware of it up to that point. And, um, and they, didn't, they didn't elaborate, but, um, but yeah, it was so eventually at some point in the afternoon, they, um, they told me that he was being held and charged with 17 felony counts, including first-degree murder, three counts of sodomy, and on and on and on. And um, I just, I don't know that I even really had emotions. I was just so stunned. I, it was just surreal, like a bad dream. We start tonight with charges in the brutal killing at a Catholic supply store in West County. Police say this man, Thomas Bruce, is the one who sexually assaulted a woman and then shot her. Prosecutors say Thomas Bruce walked into this Catholic supply on Manchester in West St. Louis County, forced three women into the back of the store and demanded a sex act. When 53-year-old Jamie Schmidt refused, Bruce shot and killed her. On the drive home, they had, I had voluntarily given my phone to them, just going, look, it couldn't be him. We're in contact with each other all the time. So um, they then they asked if they could look further at my phone. So they had it all day. And they handed it back to me when I was leaving the station. And so when I was in the car, I um, powered it on. And of course, just a million messages going off with um, friends and family who were concerned, um, you know, to know if I was okay. And for some reason, I thought the whole thing happened in a vacuum and didn't, I, I remember saying out loud, why is everybody asking me if I'm okay? And then I gathered from something that somebody said that they knew and, and I said, how do they know? I'm just saying this out loud, but the, um, to myself, but the police officer said, um, it was on the news. Um, so I contacted, um, a friend and neighbor who, um, and, because I suddenly realized there would probably be press at the house and asked her if she could meet me at the house because I just didn't know how to deal with that. And um, she told me, you just have them drop, bring you to Walgreens and I'll meet you there and we'll sneak you in. So she brought me in the um, kind of the back way to the house, but there were no press anyway because the park manager had thrown everybody out. Um, so she brought me into the house and, and just gave me some time alone. And I um, started returning the calls and texts just to let people know I was okay. And then some of the friends I was talking to um, were very concerned about me being at the house by myself. So um, a couple agreed to come get me and take me to their house for the night. She very much... Uh was very shaken by all of this, had absolutely no idea 
what was going on, never thought he was capable of something like this. She started off by saying, this is the man who didn't like to go fishing because he didn't want to hurt a worm putting it on a fish hook. So she clearly knew a very different side of this man um, for a very long time, and this completely astounded her. Did you ever think he was capable of doing something like this? Not a clue. I mean, we had guns, and we we went and did target practice together and stuff. Um, He never even um, went hunting because he was too sensitive to kill an animal. In fact, I, I even told the detectives, the day he was arrested, I said, this is a guy who doesn't fish because he doesn't want to hurt a worm putting it on a hook. So, yeah, I didn't think, the only way I thought he would ever use a gun is in defending himself or defending me. She did say, his wife, Diane Bruce, said that he struggled with anxiety and depression from time to time, and it would sort of ebb and flow. Um, And at this particular time in his life, he was really struggling with um, depression and sort of isolating himself in their house and that sort of thing. Actually, the last several years, he had been um, suffering more with um, anxiety and depression and um, was less social. In the days, months, and years to come, Diane Bruce would look back on the news of the attack at the Catholic supply store and those terrible days that followed and wonder how it could have happened, how her husband could have been behind it all, how she could have missed it. She'd replay it in her mind over and over. On the day of the shooting, uh, was like any other as far as she was concerned. She went to her job at a grocery store, um, and at the time, her husband was not working, so she thought he was at home. She called him to say she was running late because traffic was really bad where she was at, and he told her that there had been a shooting at that point, did you had you heard that something awful had happened at the Catholic Supply Store? I, I had, I, but only snippets of it. I had been working a lot of overtime, and so I had. In fact, he had. He was the first one who had told me on on my way home from work that um, the day that it happened, I had let him know that I was stuck in traffic, and so it's going to be later than I thought. And um, he texted me, I I told him the traffic was real bad and and I was going, instead of on the interstate, I was taking surface streets. And he texted me, there's been a shooting. He just said, um, there's a live shooter in West County. And and I was doing voice to text. I said, "Um, that must be why the traffic's so bad on 270. And then after a couple minutes, he said, it's, it's west of 270. And um, I, honestly, I, there are so many shootings all the time anymore. I just thought, oh, another shooting. And um, so by the time I actually ended up talking to, to him instead of texting, because he asked if there was anything he could get ready for dinner. So I, I called to let him to give him instructions. And um, when I got home, he had dinner ready. And we sat at the table and across from each other. And it was like nothing had happened at all. I mean, he did not seem upset, nervous, anything. 
Um, but then I had heard snippets about it on the news here and there. And um, all, all that I knew was that somebody had walked into a Catholic supply store, shot somebody in the head, and walked out. I, um, and I, I had heard that the victim apparently was not acquainted with the assailant. And I remember even saying to him, there must be something more to this story. When I, I had heard that on the news on my way out, and I said, there, there has to be more to this. Why, why would somebody just walk in, shoot somebody in the head and walk out? They didn't even know. And he said, who knows in today's world? It was so hard for Diane to reconcile the fact with that, you know, the fact that this man that she had married to all this time and had known all this time was was really capable of doing something like this. She was she was aware of the evidence. She was aware of that this was, you know, an open and shut thing. But she just still was struggling so much with making sense of this. So she talked to me about a particular moment of reckoning where. Um, she discovered a receipt for the purchase of two guns that were that totaled about a thousand dollars, and she just felt completely shaken by this because he was not working at the time. She was working all hours she could to help keep them afloat uh, and support him during his time of struggle, and she just was blown away by that. It was a couple days after, I think that I was um, just straightening things up. When they searched the house, things got pretty scattered. And there was a box in the living room of stuff that he had taken out of his car at one point. And I thought, I'm just going to start putting this stuff away. And in there, I found a receipt for two guns that he had told me he had won in a drawing. And... I was working overtime to try to make ends meet, and he had spent over $1,000 on these guns, and I just, I thought, who is this person? So I think that was the turning point for me. And then um, a few days after he was arrested, I don't remember exactly how long, um, Jefferson County Sheriff's came to the door and were asking permission um, to get to search his vehicle, which was in the shop at the time. He had been driving a rental car during the supply store incident um, because they said someone had identified him in another sexual assault. In the weeks before the murder and assaults in St. Louis County, Jefferson County prosecutors say Bruce sexually assaulted a 77-year-old woman in her own home. A month later, he had this run-in with a state trooper after a road rage incident where he admitted to having a beer but was not ticketed. I don't work for you. Or yes, you do. I pay your taxes, mother the case we're talking about tonight, this one happened back on September the 27th in Hillsborough. This was about two months before the Catholic Supply case unfolded. Jefferson County authorities say that Bruce was posing as a member of AMVETS when he barged into a woman's home and sexually assaulted that 77-year-old woman. According to the court documents we got today, the woman's phone rang during this attack and she said it was her husband calling to say that he would be home soon. Prosecutors allege that is when Bruce said that he would then kill her husband. 
Bruce then put that woman in a spare bedroom and stole her cell phone before leaving the house. Fast forward then to November the 21st, two days after the Catholic supply murder and sexual assaults. Prosecutors say that the woman in Hillsborough recognized Bruce's mugshot because she'd been watching TV news. And that is when she was able to identify the man who she says assaulted her in her home. Now, in addition to that, there, were, there was a tracking device that was on Bruce's car because of his insurance, and Jefferson County Sheriff's Office tells us they were able to place his car at her house the day of the Hillsborough attack. St. Louis County Police say they also found, as a part of their Catholic supply investigation, Bruce's cell phone records. And Kay, what's interesting here is that those cell phone records they uncovered in the Catholic supply murder investigation pinged his phone and his car in Hillsborough the day of that attack two months prior. We talked with a criminal profiler for the FBI and he actually predicted this. A person like this who is a sexual offender, these thoughts occupy their minds incessantly all the time. And I think uh, when it's all said and done, he's gonna have several more victims. He's gonna have certain things that he concentrates on that are important to him. And by identifying what those are, you'll be able to identify if those existed in other assaults. There are other crimes that he has been looked at uh, for that are cold cases, basically, in other parts of the country. Diane Bruce basically said, after seeing how cold, calculated, and callous he was during the Catholic supply attack, it really wouldn't surprise her if... Um, he was connected to these other crimes in some way, but so far he has not been charged. There's no known connection that police have been able to establish to these other crimes, but she, she characterized it as it would be like another wrecking ball hitting her um, if, if he was. Eventually, Diane Bruce filed for divorce. Her husband, Thomas, didn't agree to it. She was forced to meet him in court. Diane Bruce is an extraordinarily faithful woman. She very much... Um, reads her Bible, is very active in her church, very religious, uh, very driven by scripture. Um, you know, she's one of these people that can cite chapter and verse from the Bible like it's nothing. And so um, for her, filing for divorce was extraordinarily difficult uh, because she very much strongly believed in her vows. Um, but she just felt like she had no choice, that this she could not she said she could not remain married to a person who had taken another person's life, that that was obviously the line for her. And um, he attempted to contact her several times, writing letters to her filled with a bunch of scriptures and citations. He, too, having been a religious man, um, very involved in his church, Actually, that's what brought them to Missouri from California was he wanted to start a church here. Um, but she said she did, you know, ignored them for a long time. And then ultimately she finally wrote her, wrote him back a letter um, talking about wanting the divorce and challenging him to uh, some scripture that she cited of her own that basically has to do with instead of just talking the talk, you need to walk the walk of faith and clearly your actions have not shown that you're remorseful, that you're going to be forgiven, that you want forgiveness and all these things because he was going for a trial. He refused to give you a divorce. Right. So then you have to go to trial. Mm -hmm. Is that the first time you saw him, physically saw him since this happened? Yes. In fact, 
I didn't even see him in person then because of the COVID thing. They zoomed him in, um, and I didn't look. I didn't look at the computer screen. I had seen him once before because we had had a divorce hearing, and I had seen him on the computer screen then. But um, yeah, on on this, they sat the laptop next to me, so he could hear what I was saying, and I just I never even looked. And what did he say in the divorce hearing? Oh gosh, I don't remember specifically. You just but... were talking about um, he had said something about differences can be reconciled. Right. So, so the whole basis for divorce, as I understand in the state, is irreconcilable differences. And he, and in order for him to sign agreeing to the divorce, he would have to agree that there were irreconcilable differences. And he didn't believe there were. On their 24th anniversary, a package arrived at Diane's house, and it was a watch uh, with an inscription on it. And her speculation was that it was a gift that he had ordered for her on their anniversary well ahead of the shooting and his arrest and everything else. But it just happened to arrive on the day he had planned for it to arrive. It says to my wife, never forget that I love you. If I could give you one thing in life, I would give you the ability to see yourself through my eyes. Only then would you realize how special you are to me. Pretty mind-blowing. Thomas Bruce was also prepared to fight the charges against him before jury. His attorney had been filing motions to try to get evidence uh, thrown out. So he definitely looked uh, like he was getting ready for a fight. But then just as a trial was set to begin, that all changed. Former Southeast Missouri pastor has pleaded guilty to 16 charges for murdering a woman and sexually assaulting two others at a Catholic supply store back in 2018. Thomas Bruce changed his not guilty plea to guilty and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. What did you think of his decision to plead? I was so relieved. Oh my gosh. That was such an answer to prayer. So there were many of us who had been praying for actually quite some time that he would just plead guilty and spare everyone, the victims, uh, friends, his family, uh, and myself um, from, from the trial itself. And um, it was Wednesday night. I'd been at church, and on the way out, I was... Um, talking with the pastor, and we were just both agreeing that, you know, we we had wanted to see him plead guilty, but we were down to the point now that jury selection was to begin on Monday. Right, right. And, um, yeah, we, I think we agreed about him being very stubborn, and, um, and then as I turned to walk out, I said, but nothing's impossible for God. And the next day, I got a call from the prosecutor's office saying that, he wanted to change his plea to guilty. So that was, that was just really good news to me. Jamie Schmidt is the woman Bruce now admits to killing. Today, two other women he assaulted gave emotional statements in the courtroom calling Bruce a coward. One told her attacker, quote, I was one who was never fearful. I've learned I'm not safe anywhere. I couldn't go anywhere for over a year, she said. Jamie Schmidt's husband also spoke telling his wife's murderer 
In a way, my kids lost two parents that day. I haven't been the same since. The plea hearing, um, that was a mixed bag of emotions. Um, on the one hand, I was very relieved. Um, and it was, the whole situation was so foreign to me. It was, it was just a weird thing to even be going through. Um, but the victims, I, um, my heart just broke for them from the very beginning. That for that, what they, well, the surviving victims, what they had to go through, and then to ha have to anticipate for three years going to trial and and looking at him, and and I thought they're going to have to testify, and um, so. My heart had been just hurting for them that whole time. And it was actually um, heartening to hear them testify because they were just amazing, the, the, um, the courage and the strength they had to tell their story and to speak directly to him. Um, I was just, like, proud of them and um, just pleased to see that God had given them the strength to make it to the point that they were at. And in fact, I wrote to both of them afterwards and um, I, I told them that I think if we hadn't been so busy, um, if we all hadn't been so busy dabbing our tears, we probably would have given you a standing ovation. It just, they were amazing. And, um, and seeing Jamie's family, it's just, oh my gosh, I just... My heart hurts so much for them and, and all that they've been through. You visit her home. There is absolutely no trace of her life with him anywhere whatsoever visible. Um, she has, of course, kept photos of them, um, but she keeps them hidden and doesn't really bring them out to look at them much other than when clearly we asked to see them for our story and for our investigation. But... Um, she she has said she she said she doesn't want to rule out the possibility that she'll never speak to him or never see him again because she still very much is troubled by the question everyone wants to know which is why and so she doesn't want to say that she'll never go ask him or try to have a conversation with him and ask him why did you do this um just so that she can have more peace with the situation but it doesn't seem very likely. It's impossible for me to wrap my mind around how this could be the same person. It's almost like they're two different beings inhabiting that body. The man I once knew, or I don't know, what was did the, the two sides exist all the time? I just don't know. I don't know how to reconcile this. I don't know how to make sense out of any of it. And I know the public, the victims, probably everybody would like for somebody to be able to give an explanation. And I would love to, but I don't have a clue. I'm at a total loss. Just can't, can't figure it out. I've spent three and a half years trying to figure it out. I, I don't know that it's going to get unraveled in this lifetime. How do you put one foot in front of the other and where do you go from here? Um, 
I don't know where I go. I don't have big plans, but I, is it by God's strength that I put one foot in front of the other? If the police had kicked in the door while I was in the house, I could have ended up being a hostage. I, I don't, I don't, can't even imagine how things might have turned out. I, I never would have thought anything like that before, but after he could so callously take someone's life, I, um, I think anything could have been possible. So, so the, there's a very real sense that God rescued me. And if he rescued me, he's, he's got plans for me. So it's just day by day being open to whatever he has for me. I also want to ask you too, you had said several times um, in, in the testimony that you felt looking back, that, that you felt looking back on this, that you were being rescued. What were you being rescued from? Um, well, from living with someone that I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know that I needed to be rescued, but that's the most amazing thing. Um, yeah, I, a couple days after he was arrested, I, of course, I had talked to my brother that first day, but we were having a longer conversation, and I was kind of whining to him about you know, everything that had happened and how the, you know, the detectives weren't nice to me when they were interviewing me and they turned the house upside down and inside out. And he said, I watched the news reports. And he said, there were a number of police officers watching your house from eight o'clock the night before. And they waited till you came out and pulled you to safety. And it was like, bam, my eyes were opened. Like I was rescued. And um, I just realized that was the police rescue operation, but it was, I mean, it was the police arrest operation, but it was God's rescue operation. I, uh, yeah, sometimes I I think about um, just how all the little pieces fell into place and how astounding it is really that the detectives were able to um, identify him as quickly as they did. I could still be living with him and not even know that he had sexually assaulted the 77-year-old woman and taken the life of another woman and torn up the lives of the two other survivors. Hey, True Crime Chronicles listeners, Reed Redmond here to join Will and chat a little bit more about this week's story. And I wanted to start by going back to the beginning when Diane Bruce is brought in for questioning and she first learns what her husband is being accused of. She doesn't believe it. Right. And I think a lot of us can certainly understand that. And in the early going, she you know, as she makes clear in the episode, really had no idea of what was going on. She didn't know why cops had pulled up on her lawn, why they were arresting her husband. And, you know, slowly but surely they start sharing bits of evidence and details of, well, they they let her know what this was all about and why he was being arrested. And as she mentions, it didn't really fully sink in until she found the receipts for those guns. But here she is talking about that process and how unconvinced she she was at the beginning. I still wasn't convinced that they had the right person. Uh, I was 
they kept telling me the evidence was overwhelming. But of course, they can't tell me what the evidence is. They had told me that he had been identified in a very serious crime. So I, I asked them at one point, you said he, he was identified. How was he identified? They couldn't say. So I still wasn't fully convinced at that point. You mentioned one conversation Diane had with her husband after the attack at the Catholic supply store where he called her and, and they talked about what happened and he said that a killer was still at large. Prior to that day, did Diane recall any other conversations that that in hindsight may have suggested there was a side of him that she wasn't seeing? Well, I don't know if this conversation, and I'll tell you what it's about and play some of, of what Diane told Christine Byers, and I don't know if it gave her hindsight into what he was capable of doing or what he might do, but it certainly gave her pause later on. And Christine Byers told us uh, about this, but Diane and Thomas Bruce had actually watched a documentary about the BTK Strangler. Her and Thomas Bruce had watched a true crime documentary, of all things, on the BTK killer. And at one point in the documentary, um, the killer's wife, they talked about how she had no idea that this that her husband was capable of doing these things. And she vividly remembers turning to Thomas Bruce and saying, how could she not know? So she basically said, I, I get it, that people are going to judge me for this. Um, but I wanted, she, she said she wanted to share her story because she really believes that um, God saved her from a situation she didn't know she needed to be saved from, and that it is a story of inspiration and faith in her mind because she believes God is who helped her get through all of this. All right. Thanks, Will. And thanks as well to Christine Byers at KSDK for bringing us this story. And thanks for listening to True Crime Chronicles, new episodes every Monday. We'll be back next week with a new case and a new story.